Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. Shut up and sit down. Roughly 40k out of it that just did not 
fit the plot that it was in or the plot that I ended up making. But the bones of it is the same story I told when I was 19 um, or 20-ish. You know, there's so, but there's lots of things in it that weren't originally in it, like the Horcruxes or ever how you say that was not in it originally. Um, uh, Harry did defeat Voldemort in um, Ritual, but it was very undefined. Uh, the uh, the Conclave was basically unnamed um, in that version of uh, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. And that's because uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with it, and I really didn't know a lot about it, and I, I wanted to have this ritual. And there are no rituals in the original version. They're just... They're, they're, they all take place off screen. Um, and in the original version, it ended with Hermione bringing Harry back from the afterlife. So Hermione's ritual was the last chapter of the original story. Now, the um, person asked me in my email, um, in the email she sent me, when do you, uh, how do you make the decision to go back to a story and, and invest yourself in, in, in basically rewriting it because she has some older works and she was curious about how, um, you know, what she should do with them, if she should do anything with them. And I have a lot of old work that I will never re rework. And I think what happens is, um, at, you know, if you've been writing for a very long time, and I've been writing for <laughs> roughly 30 years, I've been writing for 30 years. Um, and when you and when when you've been writing that long, you've got a, a very large catalog of, of material. And I've got material. I've got stories that are written in little notebooks, um, and you know uh, stories that, that are on little floppy disks. And my husband actually rescued my um, floppy disk stories, which is why you guys got Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. So you owe my husband a thank you if you like that story because he rescued that from um, a. Uh, 3.5 uh, computer disc. Uh, we discussed this before, the sizes on the disc. I'm not sure. Not the floppy, but the second one. The next one up from the floppy. Um, I do have some stuff. No, the 5.25 is a floppy. The 3.5 is the one it came from. I have some stuff on a 5.25, but the um, and I don't even know what it is because we can't read it. And we managed to pull the data off of it, but... I don't have a program that will open the document. And when I opened it in text, all I got was gibberish. So my husband rightly asked me if I, if, if I had, as a very young woman, um, in like in the fifth grade, uh, communicated with aliens. And I categorically deny this. I did not communicate with aliens. I, I promise. But he did save my Harry Potter stuff from when I was in college, and that was all on 3.25 disc, and it was written in um, WordPerfect. So WordPerfect, I was able to transfer uh, the data into Microsoft Word, and there was some, there is some fucked up shit in it. I have to admit that there are some formatting problems in the original stuff. So just pulling that all out was a real, was a was a real big job, and um, I've only opened roughly 20% <laughs> of those documents. I don't even know what to do with them. I mean, I really don't. Um, when I was younger, writing was a was a refuge for me, and I would often um, just kind of dig deep into my writing. So I have a lot of old writing. Um, I had I had twenty of those discs. 
A lot of it's original work. Um, I had, I think I had four or five fan fiction discs. Um, uh, I had some old Stargate SG-1 <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> when Sam Carter was my favorite, and I definitely ship, shipped Jack Sam. Um, I have some of that. Uh, but um, <clears throat> anyways, I uh, when you have a great large big catalog of work in in your past every once in a while you'll go back to it and you'll and you'll pick up an idea and and you'll wonder if that's if if you can salvage that and and bring it forward and make it something interesting to yourself and that's the question you have to ask yourself when you open up a document um from 10 15 20 years ago that you have, um, whether it be in a notebook or, or, or whether it be on a computer or, or ever how it may be, maybe if it's on a stone tablet, I don't know, ever, um, ever how you manage to save it, if you still have it and you open it up and you explore it, and it still is engaging to you, but you aren't so attached to it that you can't change it. You have to be able to change it and move it and reshape it if you're going to revisit it. But if you're so in love with it still that you can't shape it and you can't change it, you need to leave it alone because you're just going to end up frustrating yourself. That, that's all I would say about that. So if you um, you find a project that's really old and um, you like the idea and you, and you feel like you can expand the idea, definitely invest yourself in it because you're not only investing yourself in, in your work, you're investing yourself in the writer that you used to be. And that writer is just as valuable as the writer you are today because you learn and grow every time you write. And so it's um, it would be shitty to dismiss the writer you used to be because if you weren't that writer 20 years ago, you wouldn't be the writer you are today. And um, the writer you are today is awesome. At least I think I'm awesome. I mean, I was an awesome 20-year-old, too. Yeah. Ish. 19-ish. Oh, yeah, I was great. <laughs> I don't have anything from my early... That's not true. I do. I have two or three manuscripts from when I was very young. And um, <laughs> they're terrible. They're so terrible, but also, also, as terrible as they are, I am very proud of the person I was when I wrote them because um, I don't know many uh, 14-, 15-year-olds who can sit down and, and write a novel, and I did. I wrote a novel. I mean, one of them is 145,000 words, and that's pretty amazing for an adult, much less a 14-year-old. And I did that, and I'm like, well, look at me. This is the most terrible thing ever written, but I did it. And it has a plot, and it has individual characters, and the characters don't sound the same, and there's depth, and it's terrible, and the plot is crazy, but there is one. It has a plot, and it's a really tight plot, and there are no holes. It's terrible, and it's cliche, but it is there, and it is amazing. So um, treat yourself gently and uh, treat your work with respect, whether you wrote it when you were 10 or you wrote it when you were 20 or you wrote it yesterday. Respect yourself, respect the writer you are today and the writer you used to be, and if it's still engaging, um, explore it. It, it doesn't hurt. It, it, it won't hurt to explore it.
And also, I am going to confess this, and then we're going to move on to our topic. I actually have fan fiction for The Last Starfighter. I've always said that my first fandom was Star Trek, and that is a lie. And I didn't even know it was a lie. I had no idea that Star Trek wasn't my first fandom. I'd always thought it was. I I had no idea it wasn't my first fandom. The first fan fiction I really remember writing is Wesley Crusher fan fiction from Star Trek Next Generation. But I found a story in a notebook. My mom gave me a box. And in the box were some notebooks from when I was little. And in in this box is a notebook, and it's a Last Starfighter fan fiction. And I must have been like eight or nine years old. And I have no, I mean, it's, it's, it's my handwriting. I can tell I wrote it. And I can even see the little mistakes that I used to make in that writing, in the writing that I have digital Um that I've managed to, to to move to a digital format. And I'm like, well, that's just crazy. So my first fandom is not Star Trek. It's The Last Starfighter. And there you know, there you go. And it was also a self-insert, which is, like, amazing. It was an amazing. I got to be The Last Starfighter in my story. And, um... It was written in first person, and it was absolutely terrible. And I won the video game, and I got to go fight. I was recruited by the Star League. It was amazing. <laughs> Amazingly terrible. But, like I said, uh, there you go. My first fandom's actually The Last Starfighter. It actually says a lot about me because um, I still, The Last Starfighter still pops up in my head in, in weird ways, but I have no memory of, of writing this story. So, there you go, <clears throat> The Last Starfighter. Um, we're going to do our topic on point of view, and there are three points of view in fiction writing. There is first person, second person, and third person. Third person is divided into four subsections, third person limited, third person multiple, third person... <clears throat> Say it for me. Third person... Omniscient. Omniscient, omniscient. I spent like two hours trying to learn how to say that. Now, I, I, omniscient, third person, omniscient. Jilly is now on the phone with us. And third Hello, person everyone. object. <laughs> and third person objective. Um, which I wasn't going to talk about, but Jilly reminded me that it existed, and so we wanted to. I want to make sure that you know it's there, and that you never, ever, ever, ever in a million years use it. Unless you're Ever. a really, really old-fashioned mystery writer. And even then... Don't. <laughs> don't. It's really horrible. It's really horrible. Let's talk about first person. First person is the use of I. It is a, it is a single character point of view. Unless you're one of those assholes who writes first person from two points of view, like from two different characters, and you label your chapters by the character's name, I hate you. I really do. I hate you. 
first person is a very intimate point of view. Um, a lot of people have a difficult time reading it. Uh, it can be... Um, can start to feel intrusive when you're a reader and you're, and you're reading first point of view, uh, first person because you're you're deep into that character and oftentimes first person writers um, get accused of self inserting even when they're not so that's something to keep in mind. Um, yeah, Julie, what are your thoughts on first person? Um. First person, as a writer, first person is I find I've written a lot of first person. I don't write it anymore because I find I get um, too in the character's mindset. Uh, I only do a single person first person, so I don't like alternate point of view or anything like that with first person. I don't, but I get so into that character's mindset when I'm writing them that sometimes I'll have writing marathons in first person point of view, like 16 hours of writing because I can't stop. And um, yeah. I'll have personality changes. Like it gets really <laughs> extreme. It's 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 really it, it's to me it's kind of like you know what you, you what you hear about like what method actors go through a little bit, but you know to mm -hmm. a lesser degree. But I get so immersed in that character's mindset that it, it affects me too much, and I had to um, stop writing in first person point of view because it was um, it was very emotionally destructive for me. I, I couldn't stay be. detached from it. I recommend. It I highly recommend be. it. I highly recommend it. But compartmentalize. Do better than I did. I think that I think as a writer that you definitely should explore first person at least once, so you know if it's a strength or a weakness. And we all have them. Um, for Jilly, it's a, a different kind of weakness. Um, for me, it. Um, I have to be really invested in the character, or I get bored. Especially if it's more than, say, 25K, because writing a whole book from a single character point of view in first person, in first person, is amazing and not always great. It can be very taxing for me emotionally, and I tend to... Uh, it's like when I write McKay, I, I get really sarcastic everywhere. Get really sarcastic everywhere, but it doesn't impact me emotionally. It's like a behavior issue. I start finding things really stupid. <laughs> well, Everything is stupid. <laughs> that's you getting in. That's you getting into Rodney's character so that you can channel yeah. him when you write him. Um, but you know, it, it's funny because it's like if you, if let's say, you, and you're in control, you're in the driver's seat, so you're writing a character doing something obnoxious to the character whose POV you're in, and you take it as a personal affront, like you didn't just do this to yourself. <laughs> and it's this sort of could like, be why well, I hate Jenny so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're sitting there, and this would be horrible writing for for me writing Harry Potter first person, because I would be so mortally offended by every person in the book. You know, it's like I'd be writing the actions of all of these people in response to the character that I was channeling that I would just be like, you son of a bitch. And I would just be offended the entire time I'd be writing. Everyone, everyone would be a son of a bitch. Everyone would be, be like, you're I all mean, assholes. Hagrid, how dare you bring me there? <laughs> what were you thinking? Exactly. You knew they were terrible. I, I, I reckon I sucked. Do, 
I really recommend first person is if you've never done it, I really recommend you try it. But be prepared for what it's like to stay in one point of view. And for God's sake, do not do present tense the first time out. It's too immediate. Or, or ever. Yeah, well, or ever. I, I am biased against present tense. I think it is the most annoying thing to see in fiction writing, unless it's second person present tense, which is literally the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I agree. Thank you. Appreciate it. Because I was over, I forget which fandom I was in, and even if I did not, I wouldn't say. But um, there is one fandom. What fandom is it? They were just all up, oh, God, it was Jurassic World. What is up with all those fucking second-person stories over there? Oh, my God. Oh, anyways. It's crazy. I, tr- I I jumped into that fandom very briefly, jumped right back out. I was like, what is this? Yeah, quit, talk, yeah. quit talking to me. <laughs> I don't want you talking to me. So first person is I. I and me. Second person is you. The narrator of the story is speaking directly to the reader, you. You love the way he looks, and you look forward to seeing him again. And that's just so creepy. And the first time I was reading um, a second person story that had erotica in it, I I stopped. So I was like, author, no, you don't get to tell me when I come, okay? (laughs) No. Well, and and it kind of puts you in the role, especially if they do it first person present. I mean, second person present tense. It kind of puts you in a stalker role. As I know, reader. right? Ugh, and it just feels so creepy. creepy. So creepy. It's like, ew! <laughs> you just made me a perpetrator. I don't want to do this. And, and no, as a matter of fact, I'm not turned on. Thank you for asking. But you didn't ask. They don't ask. <laughs> it's, it's so creepy. Second person erotica couldn't be creepier. It really couldn't. Oh. Anyway, second person is you. Third person is uh, is um, he, she, and they. <sighs> please, please don't use second person. The only POV worse than second person is third person objective. So let's discuss it and get it out of the way. Third person objective is the removal of all narrator bias. It's it's basically used for um it has no purpose in fiction. It's There's an no instructional emotional depth. Yeah. It's an instructional point of view. Um you get no Let's let's go over here to this definition. I thought it was really good when I looked it up. Okay. Third-person objective employs a narrator who tells a story without describing any character thoughts, opinions, or feelings. Instead, it gives an an objective, unbiased point of view. Often, the narrator is self-dehumanized in order to make the narrative more neutral. You used to see um, mysteries written in objective point of view. And it was to hide what was the mo- what was going on, so that you were surprised by the end, so that there was complete shock value. Um, but what it takes, at, but what it adds in suspense to some small degree, it takes depth away. 
because your characters have no emotional range, they have no motivation except what is verbally disclosed, and it's a POV that I personally hate. I won't read mysteries written in objective POV, and you can spot it instantly um, when you start reading, um, and it is very dehumanizing. Your characters are very flat, and as, because characterization is such a big deal to me, um, that point of view really just, I'd rather read second person I'd rather read a combination of first person, second person, and present tense. Thank you very much. <laughs> I agree. It's that bad because it is the worst per- It is the worst POV for fiction ever. You get nothing. Everything is flat on the page. It's more like you're reading stereo instructions. You remember that part in Beetlejuice where he throws the book down and he says, Ugh, it's like reading stereo instructions. That is exactly what it's like. It's like reading stereo instructions. <laughs> that is a very good example. <laughs> okay, third person. You can, um, okay, go ahead. So, so Kaz is saying she's. I don't know. I don't know which part she's not understanding, but um, um, but um, when you're writing in a when you're writing in an objective point of view, um, you can't even infer anything, right? You can. No. You, because you have to be in someone's point of view to infer something. So, like, if Rodney is saying something and you're in John's point of view, Rodney I mean, John can infer what Rodney means, and you can get some of Rodney's um, get some of Rodney's motivation based on what John's inferring about what Rodney's saying or how he's acting or what his body language is. Um, but when you're in an objective POV, the narrator doesn't have the luxury of inferring anything. It, the, the narrator doesn't interpret. The narrator doesn't read anything that is not there. It's almost like anthro- it's almost like the anthropological version of fiction writing, right? It's just an observation. Um, and there's no – you don't know if somebody's angry. You don't know if they're sad because there's no descriptions here. You, you're not going to see facial expressions. Um, a character isn't going to snap. They're just going to say. I mean, no, most Rodney you could said. get away with is an elevated tone of voice. You could get that the volume was louder, but not why. I mean, because you, you could observe the volume, right? Exactly. Right. You, you could get that. You could get that Rodney had an elevated tone of voice, but you couldn't say that he was angry because that's right, knowledge. Right. Because you don't that, know. Why he's yelling? He could be right. angry. He could, he could be excited. Could be, amb- he could, be... could be ambient noise. I mean, who knows? Right, but you won't know that because you won't know anything about his environment, and that's what third-person objective is. And avoid it at all costs. It's avoid very it. flat. It's very flat, and it's the, this is why it was pretty much only really popular in, from as I, as I as I recall in a lot of old some of the old mysteries, and it was about the reveal is because usually because the person you least suspected, the person whose POV you would have been in was the, was the culprit or whatever, it was about a reveal to surprise you. Um, it didn't work well. It often fell flat, and the characters had, didn't have a lot of depth. So um, I, I can't, even as, a, even as an exercise, I don't, I don't really recommend it. No, because it, I think it teaches you bad habits. I, mm-hmm. I think that um, actually... It would be, it would be like reading a script with no descriptors. 
when you just get a big line of dialogue and there's no there's no scene descriptions, there's no character descriptions. You don't have anything but the words on the page. Just straight dialogue. There's no infliction, there's no nothing. Nothing. It's 2D writing and it's not fun to read. It's terrible to read. I would there's nothing I would put down faster than third person objective. Um, like Julie said, I would definitely read second person before I would read third person objective. Question for Nano. If we're doing first person, would it be considered cheating to write a few snippets to post, making sure it sounds in character? Yes, actually, it, it, it would be cheating. Um, if you write ahead of the challenge, you're cheating. The challenge begins at midnight on November 1st, and anything written before that is cheating. You could write something else, something related, something... Um, test you out, just to test it. Write yeah, a, something, a, a short story. Yeah, or you could write just a random scene that isn't related to the story you plan to write in November and post that and get some feedback on it. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. That, that way you could do a little test, like a, yeah, like a side story. You could test it out in a uh, in a different idea than the idea you're going to use for Nano. Um, third person limited. Third person limited is one of your options in Nano. Um, this is a third person from a single character's point of view. As a narrator, you know what one person's thoughts and feelings, um, and you have to infer everybody else's. If your character doesn't know it, your reader doesn't know it either. Every scene you write is written from this person's point of view. And third so your option is... Go ahead. I would say it's probably the most popular um, point of view. Um, well, that and multiple third person multiple, but you know they're kind of related to each other very closely. But um, right. limited is where um, you see a lot of words like uh, he seemed to be angry or whatever. It's because that's where you get the inference. It's where you get the character whose point of view you're in inferring what's going on with the other. They're 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 telling the odd the reader what's going on with the other characters by inferring based on their body language and their tone of voice. Um, so that's where you get a lot of that kind of language. You see that a lot in Third Person Limited. Is he seemed to be angry or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's because they can't... Third Person... Omnis... <laughs> Help me out. Omniscient. <laughs> Omniscient. I'm sorry, I have a speech impediment, and that word just trips me up every time. Um, the God POV, they know everything. They know how everybody feels. They know how everybody, um, what everybody wants in the scene, and it is a very arrogant narrative. Uh, I, I think I see it more in science fiction, and this is going to sound sexist, and I don't mean it to be, um, but I see it more in men 
male writers than I do female writers uh, who tend to write from that God point of view. I think a lot of people who write third-person multiples think they're writing third-person omniscient, and they're really not. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're really not. Third-person omniscient has a very different flavor to it than third-person, uh, because third-person omniscient, when you're really in the God point of view, there is no inference. You know everything. Um, you know you that somebody is mad. Right. Rodney is mad. There is no guessing. There is no. There is no... There is no misleading. You can't mislead your audience when you're in an omniscient point of view. You can't have a misunderstanding in an omniscient point of view because you know everything. So most people actually write in third person multiple who think they're writing in the omniscient point of view. I find the omniscient point of view actually really hard to work with because I find that I don't want to tell everybody what you know. <laughs> everything, because I really don't. <laughs> That's just not the I'm way one of those writers who wants to keep most of it to myself. I want it to be a secret until I have to tell you. Exactly. <clears throat> now, most of my work on my site is told from third-person multiple. Third-person multiple is usually written in, pa in past tense, and it's written from multiple character points of view. I do make an effort not to head hop. And head hopping is when you move from one character to another repeatedly in a scene. It should be your goal going into a scene to limit yourself to one character. And if you cannot limit yourself to one character in a single scene, don't make it more than two. And don't hop back to the original character. If you make a switch, you stay there until the end of the scene. Mm -hmm. Because it 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 disrupts your flow, it fucks up your pace, and it, it makes your scene disjointed. So the more you can stay in one character's point of view in a scene, the more solid structure your your scene will have. Does that make sense? Totally. Okay. Okay. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Does it make sense to anybody else? Being a rabid head hopper. Um, Third Person Limited is when you tell a story from a single point of view, scene by scene, from beginning to end. You do not hop to a single other character for any reason. This is basically third person writing like first person. And it's the best way to cure it's, head hopping, is to stay it is in definitely one point of the best way to cure head hopping. It also... Um, it stops – I want <laughs> – I have a sentence in the unspeakable plot where I wrote the point of view of every single person in the scene. And there are like 25 people in this scene. And I wrote all of them in one sentence. Wasn't it something like everyone was stunned or everyone had the same reaction and you just stated it <laughs> exactly. in the past? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no one could disagree with that. <laughs> and there are like, like really? 25 people in this. Yeah, I did that. I totally did that. And what's worse is that even after I recognized what I did, I still didn't change it, which is terrible. It's that That's such a vanity, but I'm keeping it. Well, you did. What you did is you, your POV change was to God POV, and then you went back. Right. <laughs> Boom. 
I I briefly <laughs> spinned it above my crowd. <laughs> now there's two. By the way, I would mention that you you touched a little bit about third person multiple. There's a couple ways of doing third person multiple. Um, and you should have a plan when you go into your story about what your strategy is going to be, and you should stick to it. Uh, it's really, really critical because if you know what your strategy is and you know what say, hey, this is my plan, then when you send your story off to beta, so for instance, if you're a head hopper and you say, I'm going to stay in third person limited, I'm in one person point of view, and you've told your beta that you're only in this person's point of view, say Harry's point of view, your beta will be, should be able to catch you straying out of point of view. But if you have if you're doing multiple, if you have a POV plan, you can share that and your beta can help find mistakes. Um, so there's common things is like, you know, one scene per point of view, we talked about that. One chapter per point of view. Um, mm -hmm. sometimes people will do um Two people, two people in a scene, but you, like you mentioned, you should only change. It depend, to me, that depends upon how long the scene. And if your scene is a hundred words long, you've got no reason to change point of view. That's just confusing. Um, but like I tried to beta for somebody once who was changing POV every um, paragraph, practically. <laughs> I was like, I can't beta this. Okay. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Don't you're don't changing POV every paragraph. Please don't put my name on this. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was something said in the chat room that I want to address, and um, because I think that letting this go is a, a disservice to other people who are in the chat room who who saw this. And if I don't say something, they're going to assume that I believe it too, um, or that I'm okay with, with what was said. Uh, Third-person multi always seems like a cop-out to me. This is not true to me. Third-person multiple is just utilizing more than one character in your narrative. There is nothing wrong with it, and it is not a cop-out. What is wrong is hopping from one head to another repeatedly in a scene. This is not the same thing as third person multiple. Third person multiple is essentially using the character using the point of view of more than one character in the telling of your story. Hopping from one head to another in a scene is called head hopping and that's bad. No. Gavin, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say your name. Um, third person, uh, third person, the God point of view is when you know everything, and this is written in third person, but it is not third person multiple. The God point of view is most often used from one character, and this character know the, the narrator knows everything. Did you ever? Read the play Our Town. Our Town is an excellent example of the God POV because the narrator of the story knows absolutely everything that happens. They know how everybody feels. They know all of the events. Um, they know everything. And that's what the God POV is about. A third-person multiple is not the same thing. You're, as the narrator doesn't know everything. 
the narrator moves from one character to another. with style and grace. <laughs> Otherwise, it's head hopping. So, one more time from the top. Third person limited is writing your story from one person's point of view in third person, which is he, she, and they. Third person multiple is telling your story from the point of view of several characters, but not at the same time. Are we there? Third person, one more time. Um, omniscient? Um, omniscient. Um, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. There you go. Omniscient. Um, third person omniscient is the God POV, and the narrator of your story knows everything. And often they tell the reader everything. Not only do you know that Harry is mad, you know why Harry is mad. Even if you're writing from Hermione's point of view, she knows Harry's mad, and she knows why. And she hasn't even asked him. Because she's in the God POV. Does that make sense? I think so. Third-person objective is a stripping of all emotions and uh, perspective, and it's just basically a neutral telling of a story with no inference and no depth or fun. Ignore Visualize it. one of those old detectives in black and white with a notepad going, just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> just the that's facts. Third just, that's third-person objective. So most people write third-person multiple. It is the easiest, or actually most people write third-person multiple past tense. That is the easiest point of view to write because that's what you read practically every time you pick up a book. It's in popular fiction. It's how TV shows are told. Every TV show basically on the air is told from third-person multiple. I can't think of one that isn't. Maybe Boy Meets World, which is like first person, isn't it? I didn't see. I only saw a few episodes. But I don't remember anywhere he wasn't in the scene. So that would definitely be like a first person point of view or a third person limited. But mm -hmm. third person, yeah, third person present tense is becoming. There seems to be a wave of it. Um, it comes and goes in waves. You notice this? Dexter is actually told from first person. Oh, that's true. Dexter is very first person. The books are first person. The first season of Dexter is almost entirely first person. Um, they they moved away from it as the series got bigger, and then there were scenes that Dexter what wasn't in. Um, the Sookie. Stackhouse series is told in first person, the books. And um in the first season, the first couple of episodes, you don't see you don't see or know anything that Suki doesn't know. Suki. <laughs> I can't say her name without thinking of Bill. You know Bill says it in the show? Suki. <laughs> anyway, because it's all told from her point of view, so you don't know anything as a reader or a viewer that she does not know. 
But it expands, and then you get scenes without Sookie, and it becomes a third-person multiple. But originally, it was almost entirely in first person, and then they kind of moved away from that to expand the story. Sookie. <laughs> Which is like the best part of that whole show. I stopped watching it, but the best part of that whole show is the way he says her name. Sookie. <laughs> But most TV shows are told from a third-person multiple so that you'll have scenes with different characters um, in them, and that's what third-person multiple is. And in order to write third-person limited, your one character has to appear in every single scene. There are no scenes without this character. Uh, I I think that Harry Potter and the... um, I think the first Harry Potter book is told from third person limited. No. Almost. I got like Almost. like there's that opening scene where you see McGonagall and um Dumbledore and then Harry arrives. And then after that, I don't know that there's a single scene in the whole book that Harry Potter's not in. He's in that scene, he just shows up late and he's a baby, so he doesn't have a point of view. Right. Right, he was playing Quidditch. I think in the book, isn't most of that from his point of view? Unless, you know, Hermione set the Snape on fire. But I think one of the limits of the Harry Potter series is that we really don't learn anything about the magical world that Harry doesn't know. We learn about magic as Harry learns about magic. And I think in a lot of ways that limits us because Harry's not very curious. (laughs) We correct that shit in fan fiction. Yes, we do, because we want to fucking know, Harry. Why didn't you ask questions, Harry? Come on. (laughs) But, you know, the thing about third-person multiple that you have to bear in mind if you're going to write something like Harry Potter is it actually is slightly odd to choose third-person multiple and write 95% of the story in one character's point of view. But you end up doing that. People do. They definitely wind up doing that. I think um, that most of Ties That Bind is from Rodney's, maybe John's point of view. John's point of view. I Even though that wasn't my intention. Huh? I was going to say, you write mostly from John's point of view no matter what, don't you? I'm kind of, I'm, I'm definitely more comfortable in John's point of view. And that's really interesting because everybody um, always tells me I'm like McKay in personality. Um, and maybe that's true, or maybe it's just because. Um, McKay is one of the more honest characters you, you've ever seen on TV, and so you just assume that he's unique. Well, that brings up an interesting other facet of um, <coughs> POV. It's how to pick it, which character you're going to write in. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of... um People have a lot of opinions about, you know, how minor a character should be allowed to have a point of view or how many characters should be allowed to have a point of view in a story period. Or, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff to con- that people can have to consider. And there's a lot of voices out in the world about what you could or should consider when you go to make that decision. But I think for um, for me the most important things are what character do you feel like you can successfully rate? 
uh, is got to be the, for me the first thing. Because if you sit down to a writing project and you pick the character that you feel the least comfortable writing, you're kind of doomed um, from the outset. If you feel yeah, awkward you, and uncomfortable in that character's head, where are you going to go from there? You've hobbled yourself. You very much have. So comfort I did is... It. I did it which to story? myself in Dangerous to Know. And in Dangerous to Know... Um, I put it in Rodney's point of view to begin with because I knew John was going to get sucked into the machine. So it couldn't be um, from John's point of view because I didn't want to write all that killing. Um, so it had to be from Rodney's. And then I realized that I don't write a lot from Rodney's point of view, and it was difficult. I mean, it was like, oh, what happened to me? <laughs> Where did this come from? Because it doesn't happen often, and I, t- I I do tend to write from John's point of view. And it was actually a fucking relief when I could switch to John's point of view for part two when John comes out of the machine. I was like, oh, thank God, because I was, <laughs> cause I was, I was suffering. I was suffering. So if and for and for you, I think that you can, um, depending on someone's level of experience, they can stumble along. With an uncomfortable POV, but some people um, aren't going to be able to do that. They're going to be hobbled from the get-go because they've they've gone, you know, this is the POV I want to tell the story from, and it's not a POV they're comfortable comfortable writing in. So think about that long and hard. Are you in a are you in a POV you can write? And then second thing that I consider is what is the most interesting POV in the scene? Because I tend to write until you know I've I've written a few stories that are single point point of view. But, um, you know, I, I don't typically do that. Um, November, I'm definitely doing that because that's a challenge. But um, when I usually am going into a scene, I consider whose point of view is the most interesting. And I had to break. It's interesting, and I'll, I'll bring up um, one of the stories I wrote for Rough Trade a while back as an example of where I broke a lot of my own rules about what point of view I'm going to pick because um, so when I wrote Journey Home pretty much at the beginning of the story I have Tony in a state where he is emotionally has no range he is emotionally damaged and he has no emotional affect so he has almost no emotional reaction to anything that is a very limited point of view to be in Mm -hmm. so his point of view is not interesting except Occasionally, like it was almost like on scenes where I, filler scenes I tended to do in his point of view early on. And as he got better, I did more in his point of view. But early on in the story, because normally I don't do points of view from minor um, OCs, mm-hmm. but Tony's point of view wasn't interesting because there was no emotion to it, right? It was very flat. So I often Which would can be pick, very difficult. Yeah, it's very hard and it's very, it's not engaging to read a character who doesn't care about anything, who just is like, okay, whatever, sure, do what it you isn't want. invested. You need your character to be invested. Rogue asks, since I'm reading A Farm in Iowa, what person is that written in? It's written in third person, um, multiple past tense, but this is the kicker. The multiple comes later. And this is actually super important because in the first story in A Farm in Iowa, um, something happens, and it happens from John's point of view, and um, he has no idea what's happening in this scene. is completely 
out of character for Rodney. He has no clue that Rodney has crossed over a boundary he never even thought was there to begin with. And I don't want to tell you what it is, because if you haven't finished that completely or if you've reading it for the first time or if you end up reading it for the first time for this, you won't get a payoff on what I just said until like part 40. I'm sorry. <laughs> but just keep in mind, there's a scene, there's an event in the first story in a farm in Iowa that takes place and John assumed one thing about this event but it was exactly the opposite of what he assumed, and he had no way of knowing otherwise. And that story told entirely from from John's point of view. So you as the reader have no clue either. And I remember when I was reading A Farm in Iowa, and when it comes to that scene where Rodney confesses, where Rodney makes his confession um, about this particular event, and John is floored. Well, I was floored with John. I was like, what, really? <laughs> is that what happened? Because that's not what I thought happened, but that's that's what happened from Rodney's point of view. So when you come into a scene where you're where you're in one character's point of view, um, they come into that scene with all kinds of bias and expectations, and if if that's all your reader has to go on, they're operating on the same level. At, it's number twenty-seven, I'm told. Um, <laughs> Rogue, you got it, didn't you? Um, operating from the same page that John is in this scene. So John has these expectations, and this happens, and it's lovely, and he has no idea what he's done. And we don't find out what he's done to Part 27. Thank you, Rogue. Um, <clears throat> you don't have anybody else's point of view but John's. In, in, in that particular story for a long time. And, and then eventually as that series progresses, we get um, Rodney's point of view and we get scenes, um, just we had a, a huge expansion. And um, you, you find out a lot that, uh, you're like, that you took for granted when, when you first started. And that's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing piece of writing. If you, if you have not read A Farm in Iowa, I highly recommend it. I'm going to put a link on um, the radio show. It's the first time I've linked this story. And if you're still listening to my podcast and you've heard me um, wreck this before and you still haven't read it, what's wrong with you? Seriously. I highly recommend it. It's excellent writing. Um, just go read it, seriously. <coughs> In fact, it was one of it was part of my introduction to fandom. That and Time in a Bottle by Astolot. I, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. And nothing beats Baby Jesus, and that's saying a lot coming from me. <laughs> Baby Jesus is awesome. And you won't know what that means until you read a farm in Iowa. Where were we? We were on choosing um, interesting point of view. I think that you need to pick a character that you're most invested in to write from, especially in November when you're moving into a um, a challenge environment where you're having to do something that maybe you're not comfortable with. I'll be the first one to tell you that I write from third person multiple. I tend to move around. Um, 
I try to limit myself in scenes, but uh, I like to have at least two characters in a story to, to tell story, you know, to to, to expand my um, my plot. Um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is written primarily from Harry or Hermione's point of view, mostly from Harry's. Um, but every once in a while, you'll get like a a different point of view. You'll get Thaddeus Banner, and he'll put a twist on something that you didn't expect, and and that gives you some allows you to build depth and building depth with with one character is very difficult so i'm challenging myself in november as well i'm not just torturing you well i you know because you you had announced the challenge at least to some degree before um or at least part of it we knew about the one character point of view before um before we we're finished with the last nano. I did my last story in a single POV, and um, that's hard work, you know, when you get when you're not used to it anymore. I mean, I've done it before, but it's it's a lot harder than when you get out of the practice of writing just in a single point of view. Um, you, you you can feel very hamstring, you know. You can feel like you're very strung up, like like your creativity is limited, very stifled. Yeah. But then you. Okay. Um, you find ways of working around that, you know, of of, of how to tell the story, um, how to get all those pieces out. How to get information. To yeah, how to relay information. Um, <laughs> exactly. There are, there are lots of ways, depending on how you do it or and, and where you write and how you write. Um, like, say, for instance, if you wrote in The Avengers, one of the best ways – like if you wrote from Tony's point of view, um, whether you wrote in first person or third person limited, if you, if you're writing from Tony's character, um, Tony has an awesome built-in spy, so Tony can learn all kinds of things he should not know from Jarvis. It makes him excellent for, for this challenge because you can open yourself up by letting Tony be really unscrupulous with Jarvis. <laughs> In the Harry Potter fandom, information can be gathered in a bunch of ways. Portraits, um, house elf spies, uh, listening charms. Pensies. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Pen, isn't that what the pens, <clears throat> pensies? When you look at somebody's memories, isn't that what he did? Oh, yeah. Could, yeah, he could steal memories. <laughs> he could use, what's he call it? Oh, how do you say it? Oh... You can use that spell to read their mind. Oh, legitimacy. Yeah. I don't know if they there's pronounced that right, but that's the way it is in my head. Mind reading. So there's lots of things you can do in fandom to expand your story, but stay in your third-person limited character. Extendable ears. Uh, this is a way your character can um, find out information that, that they should not have or do not have. Um, and there's always the old-fashioned tattletale. Yeah, gossip. I just thought that you needed to know. <laughs> no. I heard them say this. One POV I avoid in Harry Potter and I um it's Dumbledore. I've I've done it once or twice, but I don't like to do it because it's really difficult for me to be in his point of view because I feel like I had to justify every bad decision he ever made in the midst of it. And he made a lot of bad decisions. 
and it's really, really distracting. Really distracting. So our challenge for November is a single character point of view, um, and our theme is time travel. First or and third. You can, want to specify first or third because right, you, you can write the in a second. You can write in first person or you can write in third person limited. That's the challenge, and our theme is time travel. I think you know you can either write 150k or 225k. If you've never written in first person or third person limited, I highly recommend that you do two ideas, 225s, because that way you don't frustrate yourself into the atmosphere. Because it's going to be extremely difficult. And you don't think that now you you think you got a handle on it and I am telling you that I've been writing for 30 30 years and writing from a single character character point of view when you do not do it on a regular basis is no picnic. It can be very frustrating, especially in a challenge environment where you're having to post on a regular basis and you're doing it and you're not and you're you're butt ass naked in public doing this. Rough trade is a is a it can be a harsh environment to write in, even though I don't allow um assholes to, to comment. Um you're still having to put up with all of your own expectations and your own goals and meeting your and and combating your own negative opinion in the back of your head because we all have one. Oh, that sucks. I can't believe you wrote that. <laughs> no one wants to read that shit. If I had a dollar for every time I have said that to myself, I would have millions of dollars. Everybody thinks it about their writing. Oh, this is shit. I can't believe I wrote this. No one's going to want to read this. We all think it. So you're going to have that in the back of your mind. You're going to do something that you rarely do or, or never have done depending on um, your placement in the in the sphere of writing. Uh, so if you're doing it for the first time, I definitely recommend that you do two projects um, just to, to give yourself a break if one story doesn't work out. And pick your point of view, your character that you're going to write from very carefully. Make sure it's someone that you can stick with for that 25K or whatever, you know, that if you're already if you're don't set yourself up with multiple challenges at one time and i've talked to i've already talked to one person who is kind of charging at this as multiple challenges and i've never written from this is what they said to me is i've never written a story all from one point of view okay and i've never written from this character's point of view and so there was like three things that they threw in as being one a challenge that they were going to do on no. the next nano and i was like that's really a bad idea that's a <laughs> I, really I don't want to try bad to idea I don't want to discourage no, I, you, but I agree. That's a bad idea. Try to do one thing at once. Don't blow your wad. <laughs> don't. Okay, let's just have some some sanity here. If you've never written from first person and that's your choice, great. Pick a character you are extremely comfortable with that you've written many times in the past. Pick a fandom you know backwards and forwards. Do not write in a new fandom. Don't make me spank your ass. 
don't don't do that to yourself. If you pick a character that you love and you're really comfortable with, an original Tempest, I know you're not a um, masochist, so stop giving me that eyeball. Um, so get your people mixed up. Uh, pick a character you love and you're comfortable with. Pick a fandom you're super comfortable with. And don't make yourself difficult. Don't make yourself in a situation where you're where you're going to go crazy. Just, to, just don't do that. You know, there's... There's no need to bite your nose off to spite your face, <laughs> as, as my grandma would say. One challenge at a time. I, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. So I, I'm personally going to do it this way. Um, from the 1st to the 15th, I'm going to do Story Idea 1, and I'm going to write in third-person limited and um, from the 15th to the 30th, I'm going to do story two, and I'm going to write in first person. That's how I'm going to do it. So have you already picked it. your Have you already picked your stories? Um, I think that my um, um, I, well, I think my uh, my third person. Uh, Limited is going to be um, John Shepard, and it's going to be um, <laughs> John Shepard and Jack O'Neill. And John is going to travel back in time and save the world. And um, my second one is going to be first person, and I think it's probably going to be original fiction. Wow. And doing time travel in original fiction is going to be interesting. I I don't know um I don't know quite what I'm going to do. Original Tempest says why first person? I think that first person is a intimate and beautiful point of view and I really enjoy writing in it. I don't often do it these days. Um <clears throat> because I do uh tend to get really invested, which is why I want to do it second. Um, because uh, I don't want to get lost in it and, <laughs> and 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 not surface for my second idea. So I'm going to do my John Jack story first. I have such a hard-on for that idea, by the way. <laughs> oh, thanks. I appreciate your boner. So, yeah, I'm going to do Stargate SG-1, SGA crossover for my first story, third-person limited from John's point of view, because I'm very super comfortable in John's point of view, and um, that's why I picked it, because I'm not going to make my make it difficult on myself. And I think that um, writing an original character from first person, I'm not sure. I may not, because I had an idea where I sent Rodney back in time, and I was going to do that one in first person in um, in the in the the vein of journal entries, um, and I, the idea is called Digital Ascension, and it is, uh, <laughs> when I plotted it, I cried. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can write it. I don't know. But if I can, if I get to the point, like, 
when I get ready to do my own sign-ups, I'll make that decision because um, it will be really great to do one from John's point of view and then one from Rodney's point of view. But I've already admitted that I have a difficult time in Rodney's point of view. But that one time I wrote first person in Rodney's point of view, it flowed out like water. So maybe I could do that first person story from Rodney's point of view. Um, but it's called Digital Ascension. And uh, Rodney go Rodney um, sacrifices himself for Atlantis, and he ends up being tossed back into time. And um, uh, when the expedition comes through the gate, uh, Atlantis has an AI, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so, <clears throat> on that particular story, and I'm 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 actually looking forward to telling that story, but I'm just not sure if I can do it during Nano. But I'll I'll make that decision before we get to the signups. So, Jilly, what are you doing for Nano? Um. So I kind of, when you mentioned the time travel thing, I, I like three ideas I'd been sort of toying with. It's funny how you can have multiple ideas and they kind of coalesce into one and you go, oh. Um, so I had this, um, um, I got bit by this bunny back in April when I was started on this sequel to Emergence where uh, I was in, Bradley's point of view, and he was just observing all of the, um, he was refusing to believe that Tony was a real person, Tony Dinozo was a real person, and he was just calling him not Shepherd or Diet Shepherd, and um, because he was, Diet he was Shepherd, fused, Diet Shepherd, because he said, he, you know, at first he calls him not Shepherd, and he's sort of like, what's a not Shepherd? He says, well, you know, you're like same height, same eye colors, you know, same hair, same build, but you know, not Shepherd. He said, if Shepherd were Coke, you'd be Shepherd Zero or Diet Shepherd. And so then I got it into my head that I need to write a fiction where Tony and John were brothers. <laughs> and then I had this separate idea where, um, and it was sort of related to the thing, which is where Atlantis is, um, the city, when, when, they, when they came, when they found the city doing the initial thing, that if John hadn't been with them, they would never, the city would never have come on that the city is under a DNA lock, and it's specifically DNA locked to identical twins. And it's the twins um, unlock different parts of the city. And the two twins are John and Tony. And they were split up at birth, and there's a reason which explains why Tony and John don't look exactly alike. But um, that's a detail. Um, anyway, so John's consciousness is sent back in way back in time after the Earth falls to the race. And um, the Atlantis AI explains to him about why they were never able to fully unlock the city because he had never found his twin and taken his twin to the city because the city won't fully unlock without it. Well, uh. John doesn't want, his consciousness doesn't want to just evaporate from existence. They were going to take just his memories and put them into the chair, the control chair for Atlantis. And the first time John sits in the control chair, which is during the siege, he gets all the memories from his past self so that he can change things for the future. So, But John's consciousness becoming part of the city changes the city. So each of the twins has an avatar when they wind up in the city. And John's avatar is Atlantis, who he can work with directly and 
Tony's avatar, um, because it's less painful, is the um, representation of John's old consciousness. I don't know if that made sense. So I get it. Sort of an, it's sort of an odd, complicated thing. The beauty of Stargate, original Tempest, who just asked in the chat room, it'll be, in, well, not asked, but said, it'll be interesting to see how you handle the paradox. The beauty of Stargate is they don't allow for paradox. <laughs> you see all these time-traveling episodes of Stargate, and there never is a paradox. Yep. In Atlantis, Elizabeth travels back in time to save the city. And then they find old Elizabeth in a stasis pod, but the new Elizabeth is still there. So you got two Elizabeths. They don't do paradox in the Stargate universe, so therefore we don't have to address it. <laughs> there can be two. <laughs> there is no paradox. This is my author's hand wave of destiny. But I do address a little bit why... It's not, I, I have some notes around why it's not an issue, but, uh, but yeah, there won't be a – the fabric of the universe will not unravel. The only time we see just like a slight consequence of time travel um, in Stargate is uh, during the movie Continuum when um, Raw prevents – one of the gold goes back in time and fucks with the gate, and it ends up that they don't have the Stargate, and but there's still a Stargate in Antarctica, but they don't have the one from. But it was Ball that they don't have one, the the, the one from Giza, and um, so Jack never went to Abydos. But what was really interesting is that Jack's son was still alive in that in that um, continuum as well. And there was that episode where. They fucked up something, and Sam ended up being some geeky scientist at the Pentagon. Wasn't that the one where they found the ZPM? Yes, in, in ancient Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, and then they had With to Janice's go... Janice's time travel jumper. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but paradoxes do not exist in the Stargate universe, so we don't have to worry about them. The stupid things happen. And hippies. Stupid things and hippies. <laughs> That's what happens with tra time travel in the Stargate universe. I did like 1969. It was a great episode. It was a great episode. One thing about Harry Potter with time travel is that you can get around that um, whole uh, paradox thing by not sending a person back in time, but sending a an essence or a thing um, and time travel is canon for uh, Harry Potter. You just got to fuck with it a little bit to get it to do what you want. Um, but it reminds me of that episode of, of how it should have ended, where Snape turns the time turner like 3,000 times and marches into the orphanage <laughs> and kills Tom Riddle when he's a kid. <laughs> And then turns to Dumbledore and says, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I've used a bracelet. I'm, I'm, I'm using a bracelet in the Phoenix. Um, I also have an idea where I've used a portrait. Um, and um, there's actually a really good one that uses a portrait, and I believe it's Hey Potter and the Manipulator, the, the Manipulator of Destiny, where Neville, Hermione, Harry, and Luna all step through a portrait at Hogwarts, and they go back in time to the time of the Founders, and the Founders teach them magic. It's really interesting. It's a great um, feature in that particular story. And I'm pretty sure that's that story that I'm, th- that I'm thinking of. That's, is that the same one where they are maybe thinking of the wrong story, where they um, have that trunk and they spy on Dumbledore and they you know like eat popcorn and watch him do his watch him in his office? Or am I thinking of a different story? Yeah, I can't hear. Uh, are you guys still hearing me? I'm not hearing Kira either. Okay, everyone's hearing me. Um, Kira will reconnect shortly, I'm sure. So, yeah, there are a lot of really, really good options for time travel in Harry Potter. Um, you've got We've talked about you know you go back you've got the portraits you've got um, you've got potentially you could use something like wish magic you could use uh, time turners uh, there's just so many options for doing time travel um, and we mentioned earlier when you couple that with having to do a single point of view Harry Potter eats has a lot of options uh, for meeting this challenge I wouldn't be surprised if there were quite a few Harry Potter entries in in the uh, November lineup. Um, someone else. Uh, what what other fandoms are, do people have good vibes on? Claire says she's doing Harry Potter for November. We know Star Trek, the Stargate fandom is really good for Star Trek. Is another one that's really good for time travel. They have Slingshot Around the Sun. Um, Penumbra is doing Kingsman. Uh, that'll be interesting. How you do time travel with that? What's your what your tropes? What's your time travel trope going to be with that one? Yeah, Doctor Who for time travel is a good one. Um, so Willow Ann says she's seen that uh, the Master of Death thing is there. There's tropes with that with Harry being able to do uh, travel in time because of that aspect of it. Um, Teen Wolf has magic in their canon, definitely, so that would be one that we might see a lot of uh, time travel fic in. And uh, Gavin mentioned Superman, and yeah, we see a little bit of uh, the time, or at least time manipulation in Superman canon. I don't remember how much um, how much time travel or time manipulation we see in canon, but I know there's some. Oh, Kira is kicked out. And Lady Holder's about to come on the line. Hello. Hi, Lady Holder. How goes Hello. it? It goes. Well, then. It's... it's um. I've been listening to obviously the um, discussion and watching the um, 
the whole thing in chat. There's a lot of worlds where all you need is, what is it? Um, all you need is sufficiently advanced science, and it can be another person's magic. Help Merlin, you know, um, is mm-hmm. another one where it could be, um, you know, you've got plenty of magic in there. Um, I, mean, I think you could do time travel with, with I mean, re- pretty much anything. It's just a matter of what are the, mm-hmm. what are the tropes, what are the common tropes that allow time travel to happen. And another got... good one. Well, magic, magic is one. Technology is another. Um, Especially using mythology. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Um, mythology, where you step, you know, into some place and you're all of a sudden someplace else. Hobbit, Lord of the Rings is definitely weird uh, and wonderful, and definitely will will fit the bill. Um, Hell, here's one for you in some ways that was time travel, which was um, C.S. Lewis Narnia. Because the kids step through the, um, the, the closet and they go in as kids. They grow up in Narnia. They step back through that damn closet. They come out kids again. If that isn't time travel, you know. That's, that's, so, that's both time travel and a cruel prank because puberty twice. Oh yes, yes. Poor Lucy. Got <laughs> that poor kid. She got so, it multiple times. She didn't just have yes. to do it twice either. Yes. How many times did that girl have to grow up? Um. Well, let's see. There's the first time through, and then they found it a while later, so they went back through. Possibly a grand total of four times, three times, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, Claire, you weren't the only person who'd have been pissed. Puberty <laughs> sucked the first time, let alone doing it two or three. You know, um, another one is Buffy. You know, that's another one that did um, or could do time travel. And oh, yeah. Angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything and with a big supernatural got, component, yeah. Super, hey, speaking of, supernatural. Supernatural. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, you know, there's, you're you're not... If you want to stick within the canon plausible, find a find a show that you actually or a, a fandom that you like that's got magic or science and nestle in and, and between now and November first, learn all that you can about it and then sit there and, and proceed to um bend spindle and mutilate it to your heart's content. Farscape is another good one. Andromeda is another good one. Andromeda has canon um time travel in it, no less. Um, It's just, you know, you're only limited by your imagination and how much you can sell it, okay? Mm -hmm. Because my ideas are very incredibly vague at this point um, about what I want to do. Ooh, hey, I'm looking forward to that one, Claire. Claire says James Bond. This would be cool. but you've got uh, all you need to do is just think about it. I mean, what are you, how are you going to do this? What are you going to do? What um, what is your criteria? You know, is this you know where you have the let's take the mythology, the whole British Isles. 
you know, there, there's chunks of it that say that the British Isles are the home of the Fae. Okay. So what happens if you have somebody from, and Claire, I'm going to pick on your, your idea there. What happens if you have somebody like, or two somebody's like James and Q bitching their way across the landscape. They walk into a burrow and all of a sudden they're not home anymore, James. Where the fuck are we? What do you do then? You know, it's it's an it's a question for you know how do you how do you play with things? You know, it's we just, should um we should um for um oh we should put up a resource list. It's get everybody to brainstorm on all the different types of time travel tropes. Um, oh Jesus! And put a list up in like the rough trade group so that people who who maybe want to um, not work with uh, work with a, work in a fandom like James Bond, where it's not as obvious how you would apply time travel, um, mm-hmm. can look at the maybe get inspired by the list of possible tropes, um, and yeah, we can start with looking at TV tropes, and uh, yeah, see what they can what works because I mean maybe you can't necessarily easily apply magic to James Bond. But let's say, you know, you could maybe, somebody mentioned up further up the thread about one time travel um, mm-hmm. possibility is like the Greek pantheon or something. Is All you oh, have yeah. to do is say, oh, we got to pluck him up and move him over. You know, for some reason you throw in godly, you know, divine intervention. And that's a, that's a time travel trope there. And there's also multiple well, ways yeah, of doing and, time travel. There's, and there, there's I mean, also there's not, nothing that says... Well, here, here's one for you, and, and it's one that I I like just because um, it's a, a friend of mine wrote, wrote a book on it, which was where it's not just one person, but it's a group of people who get split back into time, and instead of it being in their own reality and they stay in their own time, it is a split off into an alternate universe where instead of time now being linear, time of the, the the movement, you've got the original timeline just keeps trucking right along and a new one comes off. And if your logic center says, but time travel just can't work because, you know, use the AU, you know, play with it to your heart's content and make it your own because there's nothing that says that after you plunk James Bond and Q in the middle of Hell, might as well go for insane in middle in the middle of Arthur's court. Okay, that you know this is going to be the same universe that they they grew up in. Okay, mm-hmm. cue from Star Trek. Not the same one I was thinking of, but sure, different cue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very different cue. Some of them the same arrogance. Q and, and James, I think, has the better fashion sense, though, quite honestly. He left the gold lame at home, at least. Yeah, well, Q from Star Trek was all about the knockoffs, you know. Um, oh, God. But you have to remember that you don't, you don't have, you also don't have to, as, as Kira and I both talked about earlier, you don't have to figure out how to literally move your character back or forward in time. You can just move mm-hmm. their consciousness. Um you can you could you know uh, what was the if you quantum leap I struggled for yes. that one uh, quantum leap yes. is an example of moving consciousness mm-hmm. around um, if you if you 
tilt your head slightly and and you know look at it, you can take. Oh God, I can't remember the episode. It's the one where um, Rodney uploads himself into Atlantis's database and waits fifty thousand years. The last man. The fifties. The last man standing. Or would it, oh, hey, no, just, is that a, just the last man? <laughs> hey, it's, it's just Akira. Last man. Um, yeah. All right. I'm you, back. you can take that as you're back. <laughs> yes, you can take that in some ways as a time travel fic because John's the one traveling. Well, time, no, John did travel through time. He pushed mm-hmm. boom through time, and Roddy just sat there in digital format, waiting mm-hmm. and waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, but you don't have to explain it's, it's it at all. Far more patient. Yeah. Your character can go yep. to sleep in one place and wake up in another, and you never have to explain it. Because if your character doesn't know how it happened, and you're written from and you're writing from a third person limited, and there's nobody there to tell him how it happened, then you can't explain it, and you don't gotta. <laughs> all, all I can think of is, is, depending on your character, we might have a quote of that line for, from um, from Mars. I'm gonna have to. You know, science the shit out of this. The shit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that movie. I'm really looking Me forward too. to that movie. Um, so. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, time travel is only as mysterious as you want it to be. If you, if, if your people don't know, they don't know. Makes it easier on everybody. But don't give yourself too many challenges in November with, you know, if you are, we talked about this earlier, but don't set out with a new fandom, an uncomfortable POV, you're doing a single POV for the first time, and a complicated time travel trope that you're not sure how to explain in a fandom that you have a hard time, you know, applying time travel. Just cut yourself a break, especially in a, on, a, on a challenge like Nano where you're trying to do 50,000 words in a month, and when you're trying to go go to your comfort place when you're when you're trying something new it's okay to let everything else fall into a comfortable spot don't borrow trouble yeah exactly there'll be plenty to go around and as you're trucking through the month as is well, when you're in a challenge, you want to get as comfortable as possible. And when you're in a challenge where you're doing something new, and a lot of people are with doing a single POV, um, a single character POV, um, just do everything you can to limit your discomfort. Because it's going to be difficult enough as it is. You don't need to add your, you know, add to your burden. That's all I would say. Mhm. Because hmm. you're going to end up disappointing yourself, and then when you disappoint yourself, you you drag your um your creativity way down, and then it, it gets difficult to get back up on that horse when um, you are the instrument of your own ruin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you've done this to yourself. <laughs> Obsessing about it won't help in matters any either. If you, I mean, we've got months yet before the, the the challenge. You know, yes, you may decide that this is what you want to do, and then right up until the very end, you're thinking, "Hey, this is what I'm going to do," and then you change your mind. 
be comfortable with what you want to do. Think about how you want to do it. You know, watch the show again. Figure out if are you still in love with enough with this show to to go ahead and do it. If you're still in love enough with it, well, then more power to you. And I look forward to to reading what you're writing. You know, I'll I'll be very honest about that. I enjoy the hell out of Rough Trade because all the writing I get to read. You know, so you know. Spend the time, do a little research on it. You know, don't sit there and obsess, but enjoy. You know, um, mine is what third person. I think you said mine was third person limited, and I really enjoy nesting in certain people's heads. She's a big Daniel Jackson fan. I am a big Daniel Jackson fan, and I know exactly two, the two stories that you're talking about that I did. Both of them were nanos. I enjoyed the hell out of them. I probably will continue as I go through them again. But, you know, <laughs> it's um, it's a case of I didn't realize it until I actually went back through and reread them exactly what you were talking about. Now that I know, yeah, I recognize it. And, you know, lo and behold, I will continue to, to do that. And I may just write in Daniel's point of view. Hell if I know what I'm going to write, though. Because I don't know. I really don't. I haven't figured it out yet. <sighs> Sorry, Twisted made yeah, me, I Twisted Writer's comment made me laugh, and I had to suppress the giggles there for a second. Brigadoon, don't make your character travel, make someone else travel to them. That's a really interesting concept, is that you, um, a blast from the future, so to speak. Well, <laughs> also give yourself a break and remember that you don't have to be historically accurate down to the last weird item. You know, it's fiction. Have fun with it. I don't actually care what kind yeah. of buttons your heroine has on her dress. No. I don't. Well, I kind of care if you have them in, <laughs> in the sixth century and you give them zippers. That might be yeah. a little bit much. Yeah. But that's a good reason you know? right there to avoid details. If you're not prepared to do the research, don't write the detail. <laughs> There's a good point, you know. So, you know, she she got dressed and, fat and, and, and you know, um, fashioned her dress up or, or whatever you want to call the, the term. But don't put, she zipped her zipper up in a sixth century outfit. It just don't work. I actually, I'm, re I'm reading a story that's still going on where James and Lily um, aren't killed. They're put in suspended animation, and everybody thinks they're dead, and they get buried. And then James wakes up first. Oh, freaky. And then he he gets Lily, and it's during the Triwizard Tournament. Oh. So they go to Hogwarts looking for their kid, right? Because they realize what you know, how you know what the date is, and they come through the doors just as Harry's name comes out of the goblet. And I believe it's called the Last Casualties of the War, or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and um, it's uh, yeah, and it's a Harry Hermione fic, and it's. The last casualties of the war, or something like that. I'll look it up and find it while I'm. You guys are talking. <laughs> I found it. Okay. 
Oh, hey. Never mind. Julie found it. <laughs> Julie's the last casualties. Uh, it's it by it's, Muggle it's, Dad. I assume that's it. It says it's James, Lily, Harry, Hermione, so I fear there's not a whole yes. lot of those running around. Whoa, mm-hmm. is that long. I know, and it was just updated in February. Um, it's very good. I, I'm really enjoying it. I've been reading it for a very long time, I guess since 2011 when it started. Um, sometimes you just, you just, boom. You know. <laughs> i got so much to say about What just happened in the chat room? I've got so much to say about it. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes something happens in the chat room that I literally cannot put on my podcast. And one of the yeah, I can I can totally. What the fuck am I talking about? I want to subscribe to anal sex in detail on my podcast. Um, yes, let's. Tempest's Tempest's description of the male orgasm is spot on because he's a man, baby. Well, it helps that he's male. He's had one. <laughs> yes. It's a man, baby. Um. Yes, but, I know, did just channel Austin Powers, and I'm not ashamed. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I'll be putting that link for the last casualties in um, the uh, the uh, description for those of you who are listening on the um, podcast. <clears throat> the side note about the James Lilly stories is I every time one of them comes across my path, I just kind of go... So apparently that ship is called Jilly, and I deal, with, I, deal, I deal with them every week. They come to my site very lost. <laughs> I have no, I had no idea. I had no idea it was called that. That's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. So the, the Jilly, the Jilly shippers get lost, and they <laughs> they come and they find. Um, my only Harry Potter story that's finished is my Severus Lucius story, and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, my God. You should just on the phone. Oh, your side. God. If you're here for James and Lily, you've made a mistake. <laughs> Turn around and leave. <laughs> this is not the fic you're looking for. Ooh, yeah, that's wow. that's got to be something. That's fucking hilarious. Huh. I had no idea it was called that. That's that's just really funny. You know what bothers me? And I, maybe somebody can help me out. In the British version of Harry Potter, is Lily's name spelt with two L's? Because in There's the American question. version, it's spelt with one L. And every once in a while, I'll see it with two L's. And it'll be consistent throughout the whole story. So I'm just curious as to whether or not... It's, so if you have a British copy of Harry Potter and it would be the Philosopher's Stone, I would be very curious to know if it's, L, it's L-I-L-L-Y instead of L-I-L-Y. Because I would have assumed it would be just the one L because she's named after the flower. Anyways, yeah. I see it sometimes um, in fic, and I'm not sure if that's an author mistake or if that's a difference in the um, versions that we get. You know, I personally would like to read the British version. It is so series. hard to get a hold of that because unless you go to the UK and buy a hard copy, I mean, you can't even buy the eBooks. 
they check your location and say, so or you oh. can't buy this. I tried buying That's the depressing. UK. I tried buying the UK version on the ebooks and it won't let me. It wouldn't let me. It said you're not in the right location for this. That's some shit. They're saying no, it's just one L. I thought so because that's how the flower is spelled, and I assumed that she was named after the flower because Petunia. Uh-huh. Claire's got the U.K. version because she's in New Zealand. Okay. Thank you, Claire. Uh, it's just a curiosity because a lot of times there will be a difference in um, – There are subtle differences between the U.K. version of the Harry Potter books and the U.S. version. I mean, one well – there's subtle and not so subtle. I mean, you've got the Philosopher's Stone and then the Sorcerer's Stone. Because apparently we're too dumbass <laughs> to know what philosopher means. Apparently. Well, come on. Given some of the people we have running around this country some days, I'm not going to, to say that they were wrong. Briticism. I don't know. How many of the, I mean, how many of the, the British minions do we have who actually drink pumpkin juice? If it's something that's going on over there, I really have I'd like to know. I don't think so. Yes, but John. Because that, I mean, Ron, I'm sorry, it just mm, sounds gross. Ron uses "bloody" like it's his only adjective. You do know that that's the the, the other version of, right? I know. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah well, that's a useful one. Okay, I was saying no. We don't drink pumpkin juice. <laughs> I was gonna say, Gavin. I mean, gee, I don't even. I mean, I don't even like pumpkins most of the time. I think it's a Halloween preference, actually. You know, Halloween and witches and pumpkins and. Well, it's it's a major. It takes a major miracle for me to eat pumpkin pie. I'd probably. I mean, if if I was in the Hogwarts universe, I'd probably be. Yeah, I'd be probably going and finding anything but pumpkin juice to drink. You know. Thank you. I'll take tea. Yeah, just ew. Aside, when I was much, much younger, I watched a movie called Four Weddings and a Funeral, and I was left to assume that everybody in Britain used the word fuck like it was the only adjective they had. They did use fuck in that movie a lot. They used fuck a lot in that movie. It was like at least three or four fucks per scene. <laughs> in fact, uh-huh. the first word that practically all the main characters say in the movie is fuck. They all say it. Fuck. Fuck. Because they're all waking up late. Fuck. Mm. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just things that stick in your head. Out of my head. Not something that's that's you know pops out of my mouth when I'm when I'm waking up in the morning. Although you know the sentiment is there. Oh yeah, for weddings and a funeral. Yeah. Yes. I loved it until the funeral. The oh. funeral messed me up. I ain't gonna lie. I I did not see the funeral. I mean, I obviously knew there was gonna be a funeral because duh, the title of the movie. But I didn't know it was gonna be that funeral, and it was really upsetting. <laughs> That was a terrible funeral. It was a that was terrible the worst funeral, funeral they could have had. Why couldn't it have been Duckface's funeral? Well, and this is why I'm really glad I never watched that movie. Apparently, okay. If you'd have watched it, you'd have found that Duckface comment really funny. 
<laughs> yeah, well, given how many duck faces there are running around, you know, network TV nowadays and movies. I mean, wasn't it Azur who commented that James Bond uh, is currently a duck face? Yeah. She does have a lot to say about Daniel Craig's mouth, I have to say. He has duck <laughs> But he's still pretty, yeah. so I overlook it. Oh, he's he's one of those guys who was pretty when he was younger, and God, he's aging beautifully now. I mean... There's not much of a, of a reason to go watch the original Lara Croft movie except for watching Daniel in the shower. Damn, oh. that's a good that's a good scene. I like the Lara Croft movies. Um, well, me too, but you know, is there such a thing as a good funeral? Yes. I think Ron Weasley's funeral would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it? Um, oh, wouldn't it have been got, great have... if Jenny had died in the Chamber of Secrets and no one blamed Harry? Because realistically, oh, they would have nice blamed one. Harry. But if they hadn't blamed Harry and Jenny died, wouldn't it have been awesome? It would have been a hell of a funeral. Molly would have been wailing. Everybody uh-huh. would be upset. Harry would feel a little guilty for not getting there in time. We only wish, Claire. We only wish. We we only wish. So yes, there can be great funerals. You just get, but the funeral in Four Weddings and a Funeral was not great. It was terrible. It was a terrible funeral. And I can't watch the speech without. <laughs> I know, like a baby. I can't watch it. Was it John Hanna? When when he's talking and um. You, yeah, you he, realize he, he has his funeral blues from W. H. Odin, and it's just oh, and it, and it's you realize there was this big epic love there that you weren't really aware of for mm-hmm. the whole movie, and then there it is, and it's bam, it's right in your face, and it's terrible. It's heartbreaking. You know, that's that's an ugly cry moment. That video that I posted. <laughs> <an> ugly cry. <laughs> It's like Steel Magnolia's ugly cry. Just... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're welcome, Gavin. <laughs> you are welcome. Gavin says in the chat room, Serpent King, birth of the Serpent King, renewed my hate for Jenny. You're welcome. Um, yep. God, I just can't stand her. I just, oh, I just hate her. We noticed. And more than that, I hate, I don't hate J.K. Rowling, um, but I do hate when I see people talking about her and they call her J.K. Rowlings. That really pisses me off, and I don't know why. It just makes me really mad when they get her name wrong. But um, I feel like that J.K. Rowling missed an opportunity to create a really powerful female character that wasn't leashed to the idea of a man or specifically the boy who lived. Um why did Jenny have to be a fangirl? Why did she have to not have any kind of, I don't. Will or consciousness of her own? 
I just had, I just gave myself a headache just being so irritated by that that whole thing. It's just she missed on on an opportunity to create a really powerful character who could stand um, next to Neville. Because while Harry was chosen to defeat Voldemort, Neville was chosen to lead an army, and Jenny stood with him, and she had so much potential, and she could have been so much, but then she was just reduced to this girlfriend. Well, you know, here's the thing. We we're, we're all we all get sucked into and stuck with tropes. I mean, um, when you consciously pick and choose them, you have a better idea of, of where you're going with it. But I am not too sure because from what I understand, uh, J.K. Rowling, when she originally put together the, the Harry Potter books, this was her first foray into at least writing on this scale. And so as she wrote through this, she got stuck with tropes and locked herself into place. And she could have broken free somewhere along the way where, yes, Ginny may have been a fangirl at 11 and 12, grew up at 13, 14, 15, and stood on her own at 16 and 17, but she never broke free. She stuck with the trope. And Claire's right. She looks like, her, like his mother. And it's infuriating. It is really infuriating because um, we know she's capable of creating a badass female character who doesn't need, who can stand on her own two feet and kick ass because she did. Minerva McGoggle is fucking awesome. She's a great character. She She's buried two husbands, I think, or at least one husband. Um, she's a total badass. She's a she's total badass. And, and, and from what I saw on one of the behind the scenes. She makes a Death Eater run. Boom. Oh, yeah. Well, she also she also did the let's see she was um, good in, in Quidditch and she was um, I think she was a head girl and she had a dueling championship if, if I remember correctly. She, McGonagall, for all the fact that she, you know, is what would she be considered like a second tier character where she's not quite a first, you know right up front you know first person that you see all the time, but she's she's there. You know, she's somebody a secondary who character. But you can't forget Here's something else about Minerva that's really badass and awesome. There are only like seven registered animagists in Britain, and she's one of them. She has an immensely mm-hmm. difficult magical gift that she's accomplished. And so she's she's awesome. And so we know that J.K. Rowling is capable of creating a character who has agency, who is strong, who is still female, who owns herself and and owns her actions and is takes no shit. But then, but then she reduced Hermione to the girlfriend. Can can we just yeah, like erase either. book six? Can 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 book six just go away? <laughs> Because really, did did she have to reduce the brightest witch of an age, of the age to a jealous? Hey, okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I'm sorry to say, but brightest witch of the age or not, she was still a teenage girl, and every once in a while, even smart people get really fucking stupid. 
Yeah. Okay. And she, okay. out of all the boys in Hogwarts, she could have chased after. She chose the one that emotionally abused her, mistreated her, and practically <laughs> devalued everything that she valued. I know. I'm not dis- I'm really? not disagreeing that that I'm not disagreeing that the choice of who she JK put for for the the love of her life was just horrendous. But, you know, the the occasional Even as a stupidity, crush it was horrendous. Ten mm, says in the chat room, yeah. don't forget Hermione had a crush on Lockhart. Well, at least Lockhart was pretty. That's debatable. I'm not real fond of himself. Oh, I th- I think he's beautiful. Oh, oh, he he oh, yeah. She learned that hormones running away with her lesson young, you know. She's like, we're not doing that shit again. Yes, well. Yeesh. Do you feel like I agree with what Patricia like says? She made Hermione settle for Ron, and that was a crime. I agree; it totally mm-hmm. was a crime. Sometimes the later books in in the Harry Potter series, actually at the time, they felt like to me that she had made some choices that were just kind of at the time probably seemed like throwaway choices in the first couple of books that then she had to live with, right? And mm-hmm. that the light, you know, the last at least the last two books, maybe even the last three books, were a consequence of throwaway choices that weren't planned out well at the beginning. And Well, the thing for me is is you've got... I'm remembering um, when in book one where Ron is doing the whole um, chess scene and he takes the, you know, the, 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 um, the blow... That could have been something that, you know, um, built off of and made him a much more mature character. And unfortunately, she didn't. He ended up being a very shallow, very, um, well, he he was their Peter, it seemed. I'm not going to disagree with whoever said it. What it does for John's for Ron for, why am I doing that for Ron's character and that he made that choice in the first book in the chess game to sacrifice himself. Now because this never gets revisited and he never gets to demonstrate this again, when you look back on it after having read all seven books, you're left with the idea that Ron didn't sacrifice himself. Ron put himself out of harm's way. So he wouldn't have to face Voldemort or whatever was on the other side of that chess game because he was a coward. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're left with because it's never revisited. And there's another point in that particular sequence that's super important where she made a decision for us and for Hermione that I think rippled throughout the entire series is when Hermione stopped short of saying love to Harry. Yep. And in not saying it, it's, it's actually it's terrible because this is a boy who's really had no memories of, of affection or love, and he's going into a situation where he might not make it, and mm-hmm. the only person with him stops short of telling him that she loves him, even if it's just as a friend. He's and He's walking in a situation where he might die. And Yep. So that choice that she makes there, it ripples throughout the entire series, and it changes everything. Um, it changes the way that her and um, Harry and Hermione interact, and it 
Ugh. Very irritating. <laughs> the mm-hmm. Ron thing, there's an interesting lesson in the Ron thing, and I don't know that she did this, but it's always the way I've read Ron, is that Ron's characterization was sacrificed time and time and time again as a plot device. And you see people, you see, you see this happen all the time on TV shows and stuff, and in movies, is characters act out of character to, for the expediency of a plot. And don't do that. You know, decide what your character is going to be like and stick to it. And Ron never, Ron never grows up. He never he grows up. But there's, of, he's but there are times when he jealousy just, and. Go ahead. Okay, but there are the times when he acts in ways that seem that leave us with this, like your 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 theory that makes so much sense about his um, his first book behavior is that he was trying to take it into a lot of harm's way because it was ultimately completely out of character for him to behave that it way. But was. at the time, of course, yeah. we didn't know that. It was immediately just completely out of character, yeah. Yep. Um, I think we're at the two-minute mark, right? Yep. Okay, so like that whole last 30 minutes was like totally not on topic, but that's okay because whatever. <laughs> <laughs> We've well, never had a show where we stayed at... on topic the entire time anyway, so anybody no, there's not. Show at this point knows that you know, that's not how it works. Hey, we did pretty um, good. If you have any questions about uh, point of view, um, I'm going to put together um, some resource links and some definitions for rough trade and do an article for the library, so we'll have that going into the next challenge. Um, if you have any resources you'd like to include in that, you can send me an email, carolmarcos at gmail.com. Um, give me some links if you have links that you think will be helpful. And the time travel trope link on my radio show, show so I can keep track of it, so I'll be adding that to the challenge information as well. Uh, sign-ups will happen in October. Be thinking about it, but don't freak out. Now is not the time to freak out. Just chill out. Just Wait, sign up for in October? Out. Yeah, because the show is, the challenge is in the. Oh. I'm going to do the silence from October 1st to October 15th, and then we'll prep the site, ah. and then we'll start November 1st. Um, gotcha. Because I, I have found in the past that if we start too early on the silence, people get antsy and weird. So we're going to try to avoid that this time and not give you a lot of time to think about what you, what's going to happen between the end of sign-ups and the actual writing of the stuff. We're on 36 seconds. You guys have a great week. I want to thank Jillian Lady Holder for holding down the fort while Blog Talk was being mean to me. And don't forget to You're welcome. go to my Ask Anything question page and ask me a question for my mini podcast because I don't have anything to talk about. And I'm going to do one tomorrow, so I need a fucking question. Don't make it a no weird question. Don't be a weirdo. And no ass to mouth. Catch you later. Shut, Shut up, up and sit down. down.
save. One month only at Philpenny Mitsubishi during Mega Memorial Month. Now through May 31st, we will accept your credit application. A $200 down payment and a $350 a week paycheck can get you a new Mitsubishi. Don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. You can win 5000 dollars with our 5K test drive giveaway. Visit PhilPennyMitsubishi.com to qualify buyers on approved credit. Warranty valid through 10-year ownership on new vehicles only. One entry per household per month. Must be 21 with valid driver's license and insurance. See dealer for details. Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations.